Hello and welcome everyone to Integrated Care Systems One Year On. This special episode brings together a panel of system leaders to discuss their reflections on the first year of Integrated Care Systems being live. My name is Adam Doyle. I'm the National Director for System Development at NHS England, but also I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Sussex Integrated Care Board, and I'm your host for today's episode. In today's episode, our panel will look at the challenges systems have faced, the progress they're making to better integrate services, and their hopes and priorities for the future. It's also an important time as we start to look forward at the 75th birthday of the NHS, and I'm sure we'll get into the conversations about the future when we speak to our panel. Naomi, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you very much. I'm Naomi Eisenstadt and I chair the Northamptonshire Integrated Care Board and I am also share the chairing of the Integrated Care Partnership with Northamptonshire with two local councillors, one from Northamptonshire and one for West Northamptonshire. Thanks Naomi. And Tim? Thank you Adam. I'm Tim Swift. I chair the Integrated Care Partnership in West Yorkshire. Um, I'm also a, a council leader at the moment in Calderdale. <laughs> Thank you both. So I suppose my first question the place for us to get into this is, you know, looking back on the last sort of 12 months, like what are you most proud of? What do you think you've achieved? Naomi, perhaps let's get to you first. I think it's been a very tough year and therefore there are things that I am really proud of and, and a lot more to do. But if I do it in terms of the four aims, um, in terms of things like uh, health for all, we've done a huge amount of work on joint working with the with both local authorities and um, and the NHS on elderly care. On with West Northamptonshire, we have a project on getting people out of hospital who aren't quite ready, but making sure that there's care in the home that's put together by the NHS and local authorities. We've also done a lot of work on virtual wards and a lot of work on um, digital monitoring so that you can you don't have to do the home visit. You can check people's vital vital signs uh, remotely. So there's a lot that's happened in terms of, of patient care that I think is about everyone. In terms of health inequalities, I'm most proud of the work that we've done on having an outcomes framework which identifies for our population, based on our data, what are the things that we could do that would really shift the dial on health inequalities on a life cycle approach. So for early, yeah, early years and, and the beginnings of life, what are the two things you could do? For working age adults, what are the two things you could do? Obesity, smoking comes to mind. For older people, what are the things that you could do? False prevention. But all of these things are things that the data tells us have the very strong, what we call the social class gradient, where the poorer you are, the more likely you are to be affected. So I'm very proud of that. And I have to say on the, um, on the money side, the system really came together mid-year when we had tremendous financial challenges and it was very hard work, but in the end we got there. And on the fourth aim, I think it's probably the area where we've put the least effort and have to think in the future, but you know, it, there's a lot going on, but it's not put together into a, a narrative. Thanks, Amy. I think we'll probably explore a bit looking forward about how we take forward our, our anchor responsibility for social and economic development and growth in our systems. But Tim, from your perspective, you've been part of the ICS agenda for quite some time. What's your um, reflections in the last sort of 12 months? 
Yeah, that's right. So it's been interesting for us because we already we were already working effectively as a as a partnership partnership board and partnership model. So it's been been a bit different for us because the, the government's perhaps has focused more on the development of the ICB. I think one of the things that I found really really encouraging is the way that as we've been you know, required to do the new five-year strategy for NHS England, actually we've been very much able to build that on the strategy we already had in place and we've we've really got this shared understanding that of course we accept there are top-down pressures and priorities but we we want to be in a place where we can continue to you know, to use our local knowledge to say what's important for West Yorkshire and make sure we fit those priorities within that that national framework. And I think there's been some really good examples of that. We've given a lot of time and attention, like Naomi's area has, to all of the issues around inequalities. We 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 did some work on particularly on uh, black and minority ethnic experiences of inequalities in the follow-up to COVID and we've built on that with our, our strategy through and I've been very pleased by the way we've been able to find some resource to invest further in the voluntary sector supporting the voluntary sector but also develop our strategy about how we involve and talk to people which which obviously across a an area like West Yorkshire with a lot of systems the challenge is to demonstrate that we're listening to what people are saying, but also not to duplicate the consultation that's taking place through lots of organisations at, at different levels. I'm sure we've a lot to do to get better at that, but I think we've made a really great start on it. It's interesting to hear both your reflections, because in Sussex, what we've done, we've taken the life course approach that you've framed there, I mean, getting that right, but also we're quite a large system. So we've also had to also consider how we also make sure that through our partnership, we're, we're building on our local government assets or the local community bond sector assets. But I've been really encouraged because I found almost writing the joint forward plan with a very future looking sort of end point has been a really exciting. But I think on the back of the pandemic and the pressures we see in the service today, I think it's given given colleagues quite a lot of, um, of hope for the future. And um, in terms of your joint forward plans, you know, if you were to go five years hence, what would be different, would you say, in your system um, than it would be today? What we're really trying to get to, to the nib of is not five years in the future, but two years. Basically, I think that we need some quick wins. I think we need to demonstrate to our population something that they feel is an improvement. And I think that there are things that are the most important things to do, but there are things that you have to do first before you can do those things that are most important. And that's why I feel things like, you know, the, the fourth aim is, is really, really important. But I think we we have been working in partnership um, like, like you both for, for a number of years. I think that what we have to do now in terms of the next two years is begin to demonstrate that early intervention can yield something. And there are areas where early intervention doesn't yield anything for years. My background is early years. So I know that a great start for young children will have an impact on their middle school years, on their secondary school years, right through their life course. But I know that impact won't be felt for years. So we have to find things we can do now that will begin to shift the curve so that people feel much more confident in this way of working. Building on what we already know, but using the new technologies, using all the, the, the different kind of skill mix 
are the things that I think will set us up for the five year picture, but that we have to make some real progress in the two years. Tim, I saw you sort of nodding um, along with that, really. So from your perspective, um, how are you framing sort of sort of the immediate priorities and the future ones? I think one of the things we've tried to do early on is identify you know, quick wins where there are things that are working well in one area that we can share quickly as as best practice. So for so, for example, we've rolled out the Bradford Healthy Hearts project and that's enabled us you know, really to have some you know, quite a radical increase in the in the number of patients who are recognised as being at risk of hypertension and are then receiving treatment for that, which we think will bring obviously real benefits. I think some of the work we've done early on around um, health services for people with learning difficulties where we've, you know, we've recognised just the, you know, really the wholly unacceptable scale of, of, of poor health outcomes suffered by people with learning disabilities, starting off very practically with making sure that we're moving towards meeting some of the targets on health checks, but then encouraging, for example, the Calderdale Trust has looked at um, prioritising people with learning difficulties for surgery rather than them sometimes being disadvantaged and, and things like that. So I think there's some good quick wins that have, have come from that. I think sort of looking to the longer term, I think over the five years, really maximising the benefits of making the connections between health and economic well-being is, is really, really important. You know, seeing that actually the investment we're making in health is actually a huge driver for the economy. But of course, people's access to decent jobs and decent homes is one of the the key drivers for people being in good health as well. And the more we can make those connections in very real ways, um, you know, around workforce, for example, you know, I hope in five years time, you know, all of our key health employers will have really good links with our key communities and apprenticeships and routes that help people into you know, many of those great opportunities that are actually there. We've, we've all been working in our in our roles for some time and there are always barriers that get in the way. There are always things that you think if only that were fixed or was different or and, and I think to your point, there is something about us being really clear about how we make sure that these that these new things you set up are really successful. And so when you both are, you know, chairing a meeting or having a having a one to one or or sat having a coffee at home, what are the things that you think are are the barriers that get in the way of some of the progress that we can therefore make? No, what do you think? I will answer the question, but I want to pick up on something that Tim Go said, which I think is really important. So completely right, the importance of health to economic growth and, and economic sustainability. But part of that is that the importance, the factors that impact on health have very little to do with health services and everything to do with quality of housing, quality of environment, public transport, a satisfying job. So the logic of the working together across health and social care is absolutely clear. The, you know, the reasons for doing it, it's what drove me to, to do this. So given that we all accept that, the barriers question is a really interesting one. And I will say, and it's embarrassing right now after two and a half years, what really surprised me when I first became a chair of an integrated care board is I thought the job was about bringing together local government activity and NHS activity. And I did not appreciate how much of it was about the internal workings of the NHS across community, acute, primary care, mental health. I, ju I just did not understand how 
strongly the culture of the internal market works against what we were trying to do. And given that that was the culture for the last 12 years, flipping a switch in terms of changing culture is very, very difficult. It's always easier to change structure than culture. So, so that's that to me is the biggest barrier is the culture both within the NHS and between the NHS and local government. Part of that culture, a big barrier is language. And the NHS in terms of acronyms is absolutely impossible. You know, and again, after two and a half years, there's still I still have to stop and ask. I'll have to say, what does that mean? Uh, there, you know, we have ICBs, ICSs, ICPs. I do understand what they are, but I still don't really understand what the word transformation means. And I'm not sure what an operating model is. And I kind of get by with it. So those cultural things I find, you know, are, are a huge barrier. And the last big barrier is competing priorities. So on the one hand, you know, we really want new localism and we really want an emphasis on place, in my views, an emphasis on neighborhood, because that's where the really important joining up happens. On the other hand, the national priorities in terms of waiting lists, elective and cancer, which are really important to our populations. I'm not saying they aren't, but I think it's very hard to balance all the competing priorities that face both local government and the NHS. So aside from that, it's really easy. Crikey, we can all get it done by Tuesday, I think. So um, it's really helpful. <laughs> and I suppose, I suppose for me, because I because I, I sit as an accountable officer overseeing yes. the system, and there's something about, isn't there, I think, um, how you do both. So we have a responsibility to the public to make sure that all of our NHS is run and operating as effectively as possible. One of the challenges that I find often, we speak about integrating the wider public sector, but I think the NHS itself has a lot more it could do in its own integration as well, I think, which I think is, is somewhat a bit missed when we describe integration. What is the NHS element doing to that? I think there's about, there's, there's two parts to me. There's, about delivery and change, I think. And my and my my view of that is if we're going to create thriving neighborhoods in thriving places, in a thriving system, every part of that system has to change. And I think post the pandemic, getting into integrated care, my sense is success will look like um, a model where everybody has felt the change, but everybody has accepted the change and wants to go forward. But to your to your challenge, Naomi, I think the cultural change cannot be underestimated about we worked a certain way and now we're trying really hard to work a different way. So I suppose my, I often think one of the barriers is just giving time and space to make sure these things have the ability to go forward, but also recognising we have to also respond to the NHS mandate for our communities. And there can be a tension, but I think if we're really clear the role of the integrated care board and the partnership and the wider ICS, I think it's doable, but I still find times when people can use those terms a little bit too interchangeably and we have to be clear about who's got the responsibility for what. But but Naomi, how do you find that sort of that sort of slight culture clash of the local versus the national? It's very interesting because um I am a non-executive chair. And I think as a non-executive, you have greater freedom to argue the case for the local. But I think it is, it is very, very important to really concentrate on what's important for the population that we see in Northamptonshire. 
Um, and that doesn't, and I accept the issues about about national government. But what I, I would also say is that the working together requires a respect for what somebody else brings. And, and I think that respect for the contribution of others is really important. And the opportunity, and that's why for me, the outcomes framework was so important. And within our integrated care partnership plan, we have 10 ambitions for Northamptonshire that everybody's agreed to. The, uh, the, you know, the important thing is to agree what we're trying to do and respect the respective contributions of partners in doing it, not to assume I'll only get them to work together if they understand why they need to help me doing what I need to do. So it's really about that mutual accountability for a shared aim, shared ambition to get that piece right. Um, and Tim, knowing your system quite well, because Sussex in Hastings and Bradford, we're doing a bit of peer learning with each other at the moment because our populations are a bit similar. Um, in terms of that, any other reflections that you've got in terms of the um, um, that sort of local versus national kind of thing that plays out? I suppose reflecting on the way this conversation's developed and yeah, the, the the role of local government within the ICS is I think is still is still developing, isn't it? And the focus has been very much on the importance of local government in terms of services we provide for well-being, in terms of integration. But that question of how far involving local government also brings in that local democratic accountability. I don't I don't think we've really fully, you know, fully, fully tussled with, you know, it, it's potentially very important, but also very challenging. You know, we've just had local elections um, and actually within those elections, even things local government is directly responsible for, like social care, actually feature very little. You know, local elections are about potholes and street lamps and, and not about two thirds of our budget. Talking to the people I represent as a councillor about what our role is in health is actually quite risky because they'll then say right well why don't you do something about why i can't see my gp then so there's there's some interesting challenges and work to be done there i think i mean we've got a responsibility to sort of look forward it's you know the birthday of the nhs which is a, which is a huge milestone you know in terms of it's something that was created on the back of you know the second world war and how do we get a welfare renewal of society so a huge a huge cultural change happened that created the NHS but of course it's changed so so much we've changed um technology's changed the whole thing is really different now there was as we start to look forward and 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 sort of to be to be thinking you know over the next sort of couple of years what do you think will be the really innovative things or things that we'll start to have to consider um as integrated care leaders um in our respective roles I mean, the, the obvious one is is the use of technology and the cost of technology. And will the tech will some aspects of the technology increase inequalities rather than reduce inequalities? I mean, the, the thing that frightens me most about the future is the demographics. I mean, it's great news that we're living longer, but as consumers of health service, of course, that increases as we get older. We have to find ways to make things less expensive. We have to ha find ways to keep people healthier longer. We as an NHS have to integrate because in reality, we need to therefore get a population as healthy as possible for as long as they can be. And when you look at WHO or one or health policies or one health approaches, they're all about, are they not, working to the, the wider value chain of public sector and some 
for private sector organisations too to have a different approach in terms of keeping the population healthy and well. And I suppose the, the challenge we have as leaders who, who may have been a bit more NHS centric is to be able to speak to the advocacy of those other services of being of benefit to us so that we have um, the resources allocated to the right part of the system so we can therefore give people a really good end of their last two years because people have been so healthy up until then. So Tim, from your perspective, that's a we could, that's a that's a huge change, a huge mindset shift for us, but really exciting to go forward. And in in your system, you know, are you having these conversations about the future? How does that how does that sort of play out? We're st yes, we're 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 starting to have them, and 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 that comes back to some of the barriers, doesn't it? How to make make sure we've got the time for uh, what can sometimes feel a little bit esoteric conversations when um, when the financial pressures are biting at, at the door all the time. But I think an echo of that, of course, it's not just the seventy fifth anniversary of the NHS; it's also the seventy fifth anniversary of social care. And you know, I'm very clear that both social care and health ultimately should be about how people how we enable people to leave the lead the fullest lives possible not fixing them when they're wrong but letting people continue to have you know the best possible life and the best possible life experiences but that sometimes feels a very long way distant from the model not just of health but of social care as well that we have now and i think the challenge is that whilst you can see where we want to go the gap between what we're actually capable of delivering and what we would like to see feels it you know, feels enormous at times. We've got to confront some pretty live issues, haven't we, across across all of our systems about how we take that forward. But but I suppose there has to be also a sense of, of, of leadership and hope across us all about how we can therefore help to shape that across all the constituent parts as we go forward. I suppose if, if you were had the chance to give a key takeaway message to people listening today about either things you've learned or your hopes for the future, what would that be? People from my own system will laugh because they will know what I'm going to say. I think I, I, in my career, which has a lot of been cross-agency working and also the voluntary sector as well as central government, uh, two things matter to make change happen. Both are essential. None, neither are sufficient on their own. And it's love and money. And I mean, and the love, what I mean is the relationships between professionals, the relationships between professionals and the people who they work with as users, clients, patients, whatever you want to call them, the relationships, the vertical and the horizontal relationships, you know, will oil the wheels and money is, is essential, but not sufficient. And the difficulty we have is that the tighter the money gets, the more essential the relationships are but the more protective people become of their own organization. And getting the real success of systems working is to, you know, what does my organization contribute to the health and social care of a population, not how much money does my organization need to keep going? And I think that's very hard. And I think it's asking people, you know, it's, it's asking people a lot, but I do think love and money are the two things that are most important. <laughs> Thank you. I've written that down to keep that in mind when I go back to the office on Monday. Uh, Tim, what's your takeaway message for colleagues who are listening? That was fascinating from 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 Naomi. It's obviously obviously a man thing that I, I was going to say kindness and culture rather than love, perhaps. But it, <laughs> it, 
it's very much the same thing, isn't it? It's easy to forget. You know, people people work in health and care at the end of the day because they because they they you know, they care for people. You know, the yep. people people matter to each other, um, and and that should also be at the heart of our our relationships within a, within an organisation as well. I think at the heart of that you can't spend too much time on getting the culture right. If we if we get the culture embedded and we start to set the expectations that seeing things as a, a shared problem, a shared responsibility, not as an organisational siloed one, becomes the way that we do things. It becomes the expectation of new staff as they join the teams and as they they develop. Then, then in a sense, we'll be creating a system where it almost doesn't matter what, what national changes and reorganisations happen because that culture and understanding will be part of how we do things going forwards. And I think that, for me, is at the heart of the change we want to make. I suppose, listening to you both, my key takeaway is, I suppose, um, is the, the more you learn as a leader, um, the more you realise you have to learn. And I think for this, for, this, for this discussion, I've learned a heck of a lot listening to the pair of you, but also there's something about, I think the relationships of a system um, are things that need constant gardening. So they're never there. They they always need a bit of water, a bit of light, a bit of a bit of attention. Um, and and for me, sometimes I think we can assume we've got them, and then they're really easy to lose, particularly under times of pressure. I find. So I think I think as as seeing our leadership role as as really giving that constant attention, I think for me is is sort of my my key main takeaway. I think from what I've heard. Well, I've learned so much from hearing you both, and, and thank you so much for, for, for taking the time to speak to us today. I think for colleagues that are listening, probably in summary, I think we've heard quite a lot of what, what three systems are proud of in the first year of the statutory footing of ICSs. And there's a there's a, a wealth of things I think we have to remember that we've managed together across health and care, across the previous commissioning and provider landscape. We've had a challenging winter. We've had waves of industrial action, and we've also had significant pressure on delivering the financial um, sort of challenges that a number of systems have had. But what I've really learned today is that there are some barriers, but people look and want to really change those and really get them driving forward. And I think it's really important that we see that there is a way forward for how we come together across every part of an integrated care system to be successful. Well, that's it. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you to our expert panel, Naomi and Tim, for your valuable insights. We really hope you've enjoyed listening. I've been Adam Doyle, and this has been Integrated Care Systems, one year on, an integrated care podcast from NHS England. Thank you for listening. <laughs>